So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is an interesting speech for a whole number of reasons. One of the tensions that Christians live in is that Jesus is a phenomenal teacher, yet he cannot be simply a phenomenal teacher because he claimed to be God repeatedly, because he said that his miracles were the support of his message that in a trusting relationship with Him, we're both reconciled to God and we learn to flourish as human beings. The other side of that tension is He's a really good teacher. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see incredibly clear teaching. There are a number of metaphors in this short passage and yet 2,000 years later, it's not confusing what Jesus' point is about money. And you're like, oh, it's a money sermon. It's not about you giving money to the church, though you're welcome to. We'll certainly cash the check. Um, It's about Jesus speaking about as firmly as he speaks with the possible exception of unforgiveness. The danger that money poses to us um, as as a distraction to our being. Jesus is a phenomenal teacher. He asks phenomenal questions. About half the time someone asks him a question, he gives a very clear, gentle, merciful answer. And about half the time he answers a different question than the one that he asked. Parents, we aren't the first ones to do that when our kids ask us questions. And it's so wonderful that he does that because we learn so much more about the Father heart of God when he answers perhaps a better question. He told stories that are referenced every week in the news. Not because everyone in the United States follows Jesus, but because the stories are so compelling. Every week in the news, we could find a version of a Good Samaritan. We would hear the word prodigal, which is an English word, but based upon a story Jesus told. And he gave clear, authoritative sermons and teachings. And by authoritative, it means it rang true. It was obvious that Jesus believed what he taught, and it was clear. And 2,000 years later, I can read these verses, and we will not be terribly confused. We might want to know, what's treasure in heaven? What's that metaphor about the eyes, the lamp of the body? But at the end of the statement, we're going to know something about what Jesus thinks. If you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. If you have your phone, I hope you know how to figure out how to read the Bible on your phone. That's okay. You can have your phone here in church. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You got a little footnote there in your Bible? You cannot serve God in mammon. It's the only time that Jesus used anthropomorphism in his teaching. He called an object something that was alive. That's what anthropomorphism is, to get our attention. 
that there is a danger to money, which does not make money evil in and of itself, but there's a danger to it. Isn't it interesting? 2,000 years later, we understand what to do and what not to do. Jesus is gently teaching us that, uh, among other things, for a, a follower of Jesus, our actions can precede our feelings. I think in 2018, we really want to fully feel it before we do it. If you've been in any kind of relationship for any length of time, you know that often the wise thing to do is to choose love and allow the feelings to come a little bit later. That's better love. The same thing is true for many parts of the rest of our lives. That as we're waiting to want to be generous... To want to look at good things and avoid looking at destructive things, we can wait on the feelings and go ahead and choose faithfulness. In the midst of this teaching, what Jesus is letting us know that what we look at matters. What we spend our time looking at matters. It affects our neighbors, it affects our own mind and body and soul. That is anti post Greek thought. We're very, we believe that we're individual creatures and what goes on in our mind only has an effect on us. It's not true. You and I are constantly changing. You and me are constantly changing. We're constantly forgetting things and learning new things. We're constantly desiring some things more and some things less. Jesus is helping us flourish as a human being by teaching us that what we spend our time looking at matters. But more importantly... The point of this particular section is to teach us that we cannot serve God and money. I really like gray. A lot of black and white issues in the world, I understand that. I'm very familiar with the Bible. I know what it teaches. I really like when we can have a nuanced discussion about something. And what I'm learning is I'm not a very binary person. I'm not a zero or a one person. And there are situations that are binary. Some of you are binary all the time, and I frustrate you. Some of you are like me, and you're like, right, it's gray. We must have a longer discussion. There are nuance and adverbs yet to be said. Let's have a longer conversation about this. The conclusion of this section is very, very clear. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So the black and white issue is revealed by money, according to Jesus. Um, what is happening in the text, among other things, is Jesus is beginning something that the New Testament picks up on and expands on repeatedly, which is uh, the problem of idols. So some of you are like, idols? Like, I don't have a statue in my backyard. And even if I did, I wouldn't go worship it. It's fine. In the Old Testament, that's what an, an idol is and was something physical that you expect to operate supernaturally through your religious interaction with it. In the New Testament, that's understood but expanded upon to include anything that you and I give too much attention or energy to, expecting it to deliver more than it can. The easy ones, money, sex, and power, the things that that we often pursue without even realizing it, expecting them to settle our hearts as human beings. 
There are the ones that appear modest and it is a false modesty. All I want is some tea and for it to taste a certain way can have a destructive, idolatrous effect on us. All we want is a little bit of quiet around the house. Maybe that's more true for me than for you. All I want is enough money to whatever. And hear me, that desire isn't a bad desire. But that desire can become a master. And we cannot serve two masters. So we must be vigilant. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a gotcha moment in just a minute. It's very clever rhetoric that I'm ruining by telling you what I'm about to do. Thank you for those of you who laughed at that little pastor's joke. I'm going to tell you how to watch out for idols or potential idols, how to label them in your life. And then if you don't answer that question well, it's really going to hurt when I get to the conclusion of point two. The reason I'm telling you what I'm about to do is I don't want us to feel bad. You might need to, I don't know. But that's not my goal. My goal is for us to live wisely in the world we live in. My goal is for us to learn to flourish in the circumstances we find ourselves in. My goal is for us to enjoy the joy Christ purchased for us in our daily lives. Here's how you can recognize a potential idol or a potential future master. What do you spend money on effortlessly? If we all sat in a big giant circle and you showed your, I want to say checkbook, but we don't have checkbooks anymore, your online bank statement to everybody else in the circle, what would pop out? What pops out, I'm not calling it sin, I'm not calling it an idol. I am saying we must watch out that it could become an idol. It could become a master of us. It could become something we go to expecting it to give us peace in our heart when in fact it's a created thing and cannot deliver at that level. This is all my uh, expansion of Jesus saying what we look at can damage us. What do you spend money on effortlessly? Now here's the gotcha moment that I already warned you about so you're not going to be impressed. If there's nothing on your list, your idol's money. If there's nothing that you spend money on effortlessly, even if, even if you're at zero at the end of the month, if there's nothing that you spend on effortlessly, there might be a security master looming over you, lying to you and saying, if I had this much, I would feel peace in my heart and I know that my future would be secure. Are we supposed to plan? Of course. How else could we be generous? Are we supposed to enjoy the things of life? Absolutely. There's a whole book of the Bible on learning to enjoy the mundane good gifts Around us. It's called Ecclesiastes. If you're at all cynical, you must read this book and be like, the Bible's so great. There were cynical authors also. The reason I'm saying that is not because I want you to feel a certain way, but for us to flourish in a bent and broken world, but with the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
we look out for potential masters and potential idols. And we can't do that on our own. You're going to need some friends to discuss that with. I'm going to need to pray about it. You're going to need to consider over time, are these things attempting to master me? I'm not in any way saying you shouldn't have those things. I'm not in any way saying don't put into your 401k or your 403b or your 529 or your Roth IRA. You didn't know I knew those financial terms. I do. (laughs) We plan well, especially in a state like Connecticut where it's very expensive to live. And we work to not let those things master us because we cannot serve two masters. Jesus was very specific with his words. He did not waste words. He did not tell a story meaninglessly. When he gave some space for us to, to learn what it means to be human, that's so generous of him. Some of the other harsh teachings in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, they'll seem harsh to us. Jesus gives more space and he's a little more vague. Here he says, you cannot serve two masters and cannot means cannot, which means when we try, we hurt ourselves. The black and white issue is revealed by money and affected by our eyes. In the midst of this teaching is a beautiful parable that teaches us uh, the perils of Target. You guys don't like Target? Is it too far away? If we walk through Target, maybe it's just me. Fine, I'll just pretend it's me. I'm the only one that likes Target. No, it's good, it's fine. If, if I walk through the aisles of Target, I'm going to buy something. And that's fine. Unless I do it every day. You get the Bowdoin catalog? That's all right. But if you look at it every day, what's going to happen? It's going to creep in and become kind of a master. You think I'm being harsh? You know what it is for me? It's this, the fountain pen hospital. You even know what that is. It's a store in New York City that sells fountain pens. None of which in the whole catalog are less than $85 most months. And so as a discipline, I get the brochure and I walk to the recycling and I got to keep it far away because it is a colorful, beautiful brochure. And I put it in the recycling bin. And listen, not every month. Sometimes I look at it. But because of this parable, I don't look at it every month. And listen, this is not because I don't have nice pens. If you have ever been in my study... There, I, I, I have enough pins. This is not about living some ascetic life where we don't have nice things. This is a nice pen. <laughs> but I do not want pens to master me. And here's the thing. All of our desires come from a good place. Do you know why I love nice pens? It's not just because they're good balance and their delicate writing ability and how nice it feels and how important. It's not only that. It's also because I'm a pastor. And I have a high passion for words. I believe they matter. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is the most important speech ever because Jesus rose from the dead and Matthew penned it. And perhaps when I'm writing a sermon, those words matter. So it's okay, I think, that I like pens. And it's really okay 
for me to consider not letting them master me. And if you walk into my office, you might be like, they've kind of mastered you. (laughs) What we choose to gaze at or not gaze at matters. Jesus will talk about this again with respect to lust. Um, We are constantly changing. Our muscles are are constantly growing till we're not very old and then they're constantly shrinking. Which really stinks. Our memories are constantly coming in our ways of thinking are constantly changing, at least in small ways. Jesus is helping us flourish by reminding us to look at good and noble things. My wife and I have not had the greatest success recently with our monthly budget. And one of the reasons is we follow Bar Taco, Mill Rights, Plan B, and... The Cook and the Bear on Instagram. I know it's Instagram. Instagram. I mean, do you follow these restaurants? Oh. They make such wonderful food that is created for my enjoyment. And I cannot afford to eat there every day. It's not because the church doesn't pay me. Well, it's because they're expensive places to eat every day. Is the food good? Yes, of course. Should we learn to enjoy it? Yes, of course. Is it possible that looking every day at those Instagram pictures, and that to be funny, it's not working, Instagram pictures, (laughs) is it possible that that doesn't help us flourish as a human being by either the food or the lack of budgeting awareness becoming a master over us? Follow them if you want on Instagram. Be careful of looking at them all the time. And this, happen, for, this happens all over the place in our lives. Choosing what to gaze at and not to gaze at is important. Doesn't mean don't go to Target. Of course we should go to Target. It's a wonderful store. <laughs> maybe not every day. And maybe we shouldn't wander the aisles waiting for the great marketing scheme to convince us that if we had that cleanser, we would have peace in our hearts. Which they do. You know they do. That's why you're laughing. Maybe you're laughing because people long to laugh in church, and so even a mediocre joke gets a laugh. As I was in seminary, anytime there was a joke, we, like, it would erupt in laughter because we were just dying to laugh at something. Jesus presents a, a, a binary issue. We cannot serve two masters, and money is dangerous. That's why he uses anthropomorphism in his explanation of it. It's affected by our eyes and it's ultimately freed from the gospel. Freed through the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is always a freed from and a freed into. Freed from sin into life. A flourishing life. Freed from slavery to mammon into a life of life of generosity and forgiveness and the other things covered in the Sermon on the Mount. Freed from mammon into a kingdom life. Freed from things that will not deliver peace to our heart to a relationship with Him that does give peace to our heart, which includes enjoying those things on the level that they're possible to be enjoyed. The food, the the clothing, the security of our 401k. That's not a false security unless we're looking to it to give us full peace of mind. 
There's something else going on in this text that, that we need to talk about because it comes up repeatedly in Matthew 5 and 6 and throughout the Bible, actually. And Christians shy away from it. I shy away from it. And I am not positive why I shy away from it. I am positive we have to talk about it. If you're a follower of Christ, you will receive treasure in heaven. If you're a follower of Christ, you will be rewarded in the new heavens and the new earth. Have you ever read the book of Isaiah in chapter 60? It gives this glorious description of the role of followers of Christ in the new heavens and new earth. You upset about politics? Read Isaiah 60 and see that we will judge the kings of the earth. Whichever side, by the way, I'm just saying. There are rewards. And we don't follow Jesus because of the rewards. We follow Jesus because he loves us. It's a response of love. We follow Jesus because the alternative is pain. The alternative to forgiveness is pain. For us and for the other person. The alternative to generosity is greed, which hurts us and hurts neighbor. Those are the reasons that we follow. But it is good to look forward to the treasure in heaven and all of the riches we will be given in the new heavens and the new earth. Have you suffered? Your suffering will not only be explained in the new heavens and the new earth, according to Romans chapter 8, you will understand the purpose of it, All of the suffering, the pain that was caused in the suffering will be given back to you and then hundreds fold of joy given back. This is not why we follow Jesus and this is good to look forward to. Many of you have followed Him for a number of years and you're tired because there's sin and disorientation and destruction everywhere. And some of that fatigue is answered through the reward and treasure language that Jesus and the other writers of the New Testament did not shy away from. You are tired of sickness. You are tired of war. You are tired of corrupt administrations across the world that seek to enslave. You are tired of needing organizations to take care of our children because our society cannot take care of our children well. That fatigue is at least is answered in part and later in full by this reward language. If you're a follower of Jesus, the time that you have spent in prayer to your Father and Seeker will be rewarded. Jesus' words. If you have given money and no one knows about it to the needy, God will reward you. When you have done spiritual things such as fasting and have told no one, which is what we're supposed to do, by the way, You're rewarded for that. Treasures in heaven through our generosity, through our choice of forgiveness, through our following of Christ. That's not why we follow Him and it is good to look forward to it. Is your imagination stretched about what in the world that will be like? Mine too. It is hard to imagine all our suffering explained, much less remediated and then... Joy overflowing following that. That is hard for me to imagine. But that's the promise. In the meantime, what do we do? Okay, fine. Fine. Money can be a master. 
What do I do? This section of scripture is linked to the section I preached last week, which if you want to know why I preach things in the order I will, I'm happy to tell you. I probably think about it a lot more than you think I should think about it. Okay, fine. You cannot serve God and money. What do I do? Back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you have your Bible. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, which means over-concerned. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. Okay, I don't do that. What do I do? Look at the birds of the air. Why? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's a rhetorical question. You are of more value than they. And which of you, by being over-concerned, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, or perhaps this orchid. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The application is the same as last week. What do we do when we hear Jesus' strong caution that we cannot serve two masters, that we cannot serve God and mammon? We look at birds and flowers, maybe that much for their own sake. And... Much more importantly, we look at them and remember that we have a good Father in heaven who knows our yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who loves and cares for us, who has purchased on the cross our flourishing and joy in this life and the next and the one after that. In the meantime, while we are still in the midst of sin, though its power has been broken, we look at that orchid, or again, Makoto Fujimura's The Lilies of the Field. Consider the lilies. And we remember that God loves us and likes us. While we are broken and mean, sinful creatures by nature, Jesus died for us to reconcile us to God, and He has left us the Holy Spirit. might not like this form of art, but take a minute and look either at the orchid or at Makoto's painting. Not because of its beauty, but because of what it teaches us. Your Father in heaven loves you. He did take care of you. He is taking care of you. He will take care of you.
If you're like me, when someone like me says to me, Father in heaven loves you and he is taking care of you and he, he did and he is and he will, I would immediately say it doesn't feel like it. That fits in to the faithful prayer. Jesus expressed it in Gethsemane. The psalmist expressed it. And yet the truth is that we can look at the lilies and remember that we have a Father in heaven. Maybe just barely remember it. Nevertheless, it is true. Do you pray with me? Father in heaven, help us to know and believe deeply that you are in heaven seeing our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Help us to trust your son Jesus, who is you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have purchased our joy and flourishing. In the midst of our disorientation, our sin, the sin of others, our concerns and our over-concerns, remind us, Lord, that you love us and care for us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that we are yours and you are ours. For the one considering your gospel, Father, would they know that you love them so much you got personally involved as a man? Would you lead them to consider more deeply your gospel? For those that have been following for decades... Would you fill them with confidence that you are going to reward them with treasure in heaven. That you love them now and they will be rewarded soon. Father, we thank you for your fatherly heart and care for us. Amen.